0: Hi, I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large for MMNM, and welcome to the MMM Podcast. I hope you're well and staying safe during this difficult time. My guest today is Quita Highsmith. She's VP and Chief Diversity Officer for Genentech, and our topic today is the challenge of convincing people, especially in minority communities, to take, a, to take potential COVID-19 treatments. What will it take to inspire trust, and what are the tenets of such a strategy? We'll get to the interview uh, with Queen in a moment, but first, as we usually do on this podcast, a few housekeeping items. MM&M's 1st media summit is coming up on November 12th, and uh, given all of the movements in the point-of-care space, uh, uh, social media space, and traditional DTC advertising, that promises to be uh, a very interesting one indeed. And meantime, we hope you enjoyed the mm Awards on October 8th, which was our first ever virtual awards ceremony, and you can read all the winners on our site. And likewise, all the content from MMM's flagship Transform Conference, which took place September 30th to October 1st, can be accessed on demand at mmm-online.com. Okay, uh, so back over to our conversation with Quida. The last time we spoke, Quita was in 2017, uh, when you were head of Advocacy and Alliances. And um, you've won numerous awards um, since then. I'm, I'm glad we were a little bit ahead of the curve. We named you to our <laughs> Hall of Fame that year. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks for having me. And MMm has a special place in my heart, especially since, like you said, in 2017, I was uh, one of the women in the Hall of Fame. And so I'm super excited to be here to talk about this important topic.
0: Awesome, awesome. Thank you. Um, so, um, you know, tell us, uh, you know, how you, you about your career path and how you became okay. vice president and chief diversity officer now at Genentech.
1: Well, hello, everyone. As Mark said, I'm Quita Heisman, vice president and chief diversity officer for Genentech. And for those who don't know, Genentech is considered the founder of the biotech industry 43 years ago in San Francisco. Um, and we seek to discover medicines that treat patients with serious and life-threatening uh, conditions such as cancer, multiple sclerosis, and lupus. I have always been on the commercial side of the business, whether it was leading sales forces, marketing franchises, or in government affairs, because it really helps to understand what's important to the firm. So I never thought that I would officially be doing diversity and inclusion work. But I'm certainly happy that I have this chance to really make a greater difference, not only to our own organization, but to our industry. And so when the opportunity came um, from the CEO that he was going to be looking for the first ever chief diversity officer for Genentech, I raised my hand because I knew that it was going to be a time for us to be bold and think bigger about diversity and inclusion.
0: Absolutely. This is uh, certainly uh, sounds like a great opportunity. And this is a, a, a moment uh, in history when um, you're in a great position to kind of drive that, that change. Um, and the industry has really been pushing uh, for it a lot of late. Yes. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, the topic of hand, you know, is you know convincing uh, communities of color to take potential COVID-19 treatments. Um, yeah. Gen- Genentech has done some research uh, of its own in that area in terms of health, how health equity uh, research you know, h- helps capture some of the distrust in the healthcare system and can help affect people's willingness to take vaccines. You talked about this at a conference last month, but, but bring us up to speed on that.
1: Absolutely. You know, but Let me just take a step back, a game-changing moment um, before I accepted the chief diversity officer role when I was the head of Alliance in Advocacy Relations. Um, we wanted to have a patient um, advocate summit, and we were planning for that summit, and I asked the question, I want to include more diverse set of patients that have participated in clinical research, and we could not find or identify one patient, single patient of color that had participated, so I began to ask why. And what I learned was that really approximately half the the U.S. population um is expected like more than 51 percent of the population by 2045 is expected to be not white Um, but when we look at clinical research only five to fifteen percent of the total population that participates in clinical research is are people from underrepresented groups and that gap it Extends to every aspect of the clinical journey, inclusion, exclusion criteria, the diseases we choose to study, the investigators, where the sites are, and a whole host of other things. And that experience led me and a colleague to found Advancing Inclusive Research, which is Genentech's initiative to address barriers in clinical research. And so we've been doing this work for a few years, and. Fast forward to um, this summer, we fielded a study around health equity and really trying to understand from patients what their thoughts and feelings were about participating in, in the healthcare system and clinical research in general. And what we found is that there is an inequity in the healthcare system is an urgent issue and Black, Latinx, and other historically marginalized groups suffer vastly um, in health outcomes. And, and what we saw in our study, when we looked at about 2,000 um, patients, we looked at 1,000 from the general population, and then we looked at 300 who would qualify as medically disenfranchised, meaning they came from four communities, Black, Latinx, LGBTQ, and low socioeconomic status. And and what our findings reveal is that for these medically disenfranchised patients, there's deep dissatisfaction with the healthcare system. The patients don't believe that they're going to be treated fairly and equally in healthcare. They also believe that the system is not just flawed but it's actively out to get them. 52% of these medically disenfranchised patients believe that the healthcare system is rigged against them. And about half these patients actually interrupted their own care. I mean, skipped follow-up appointments, stopped seeking treatment for fear that they were misunderstood. And then lastly, these medically disenfranchised patients are not participating in clinical trials or getting vaccinations, and testing due to the lack of trust.
0: And that's just in general. Um, they're not yes. getting the healthcare services uh, that they need uh, because of this distrust. Um, we know that- And I will, um, also,
1: say, I will also say that this distrust deters them from participating in important clinical trials, like to develop new me- medicines and preventative measures such as vaccinations, um, kind of like the very foundation of our industry.
0: Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. So so that extended to a lot of different areas that distrust.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the things that is really important for these communities um, is for us to actively engage with them uh, on the value of participating in research, explaining the why, um, so that patients can really begin to trust the industry, but we have to also understand their experiences. What are their needs? What are the obstacles? So that we can find solutions to bring more communities of color to the table. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So is that is there a follow up to that research? Are you are you kind of looking into uh, how you can address that now?
1: Absolutely, we've been doing that now for a few years. Um, that you know, especially for us thinking about. Um, COVID and what it has meant, you know, obviously a Black woman, a leader in the biotech industry, I'm very concerned how COVID is amplifying health disparities in communities of color. And and many of us have known about this for decades, which is why the research that we did this summer really validated what many folks knew. And certainly when we think about what are some of those solutions to uh, engage with patients, that we want to be much more proactive. We want to be where the patients are in the neighborhoods that they are so that when we're talking to them about their health care, they're going to facilities um, that are in the neighborhood.
0: Sure, sure. And that that's an important um, facet of any kind of strategy is that the people who, who are um, advocating and, and actually carrying this out, uh, any kind of Uh, treatment or vaccinations uh, strategy look like the people in those communities and go to the communities. So just talk about for a second, you know, um, obviously, this country does not have a good track record um, of, um, you know, with medical experimentation, um, and and treatment of the African American community, community for one, how does that kind of painful history play into the community's current sentiment when it comes to to treatments, uh, including therapeutics and vaccines?
1: You know, I think that that history does play an important role in whether or not people feel that they can trust the system. Right. Whether you are African-American and you've heard about the Tuskegee or Henrietta Lacks or you are maybe Hispanic and are you know, not sure if the information that you give to the healthcare provider is going to be safe. If grandma participates in the clinical research, is that information turned over to ICE, Department of Justice? And so people want to understand that there is security and safety um, and that their best interest is going to be front and center for them to participate. And we And we have to really be thoughtful about our engagement so that we can develop trust and build relationships, and we also have to encourage people to participate because what we don't want to do is we don't want to leave any community behind.
0: Did that come out in your research? Like, did, did were there verbatim[s] where people could give the exact reasons behind their distrust?
1: They did not um, give you know the exact reasons. They were asked a series of questions, and then people responded to those questions. And so sure. when we asked the medically disenfranchised, um, about, you know, what their viewpoint is on the healthcare system, what it showed it was a really a crisis in trust. Sure, sure.
0: Um, you know, we've seen studies attempt to gauge the American public's intent, uh, you know, say around a potential COVID-19 vaccine, you know, as one kind of barometer of this trust. And studies have come out on either side. Some people, you know, some studies have, have concluded that, um, you know, a significant amount of people... Will not take a vaccine, say, because they don't trust the system. Others you yeah. know, say that say that they w- they would be willing to. Um, but um, you know, I guess you given this research uh, on this finding this you know significant uh, distrust. Um, do you, do you think that the you know would you would you kind of characterize that um, that distrust as as warranted? You know, given you know uh, what uh, what you know what. Um, efforts to, you know, instill trust? Uh, or do you think that, uh, you know, there's, there's good reason for, for people to, you know, still have uh, fears of, 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 you know, getting involved in, in clinical research or, or, or the medic- medical system?
1: You know, what I have found, and, and let me just say, we have conducted a couple of studies um, in COVID since this whole pandemic started. And one of our studies, um, uh, we actually enrolled eighty-four percent of the study population was from minority, racial, and ethnic groups. And how did we do that? Like everybody's asking us that question, how did you do that? And we're so we're talking about black, Hispanic, we went to Navajo Nation. Um, uh, we also expanded the trial outside of the US and went to Kenya for the first time, South Africa, Brazil, Peru, and Mexico. Um, and some of the things that we learned during the process uh, for this study in COVID patients um, was that the team, you have to go where the patients are. If you want to enroll communities of color, you have to be in the places they are, right? You have to be at Howard in DC, Jamaica, Queens in New York. You have to be in Miami, you have to be in Oakland right? People are more likely to participate if they're driving by the center every day versus if they have to go to an uh, Ivy League academic center. Those places are intimidating versus kind of the place in their hometown. So really thinking about where are the patients at and going to their neighborhood because that's where they're going to trust that those physicians in those facilities are going to have their best interests at heart. We also thought about partnerships With um, new sites, for us, you know, this industry, it's often a risk to go to sites that are not tried and true, meaning we've already done the clinical research there before. And we dispelled that myth that we can go to uh, community centers and we can really engage those community centers to work with us. And the team did a lot of work. They were meeting around the clock, had set up a 24-7 hotline for um, the facilities to reach out to us. Things were fully remote. And then also, we thought about the process. We streamlined the process because the IRB process can be very cumbersome and complicated. And so, what we did was we were working with the IRB to, to kind of streamline, to make it simpler and easier for these community hospitals that maybe had not participated in pharma research before um, to come up to speed. And so, you know, I would say patients, partnerships, and the process. Uh, can make it easier for companies to engage communities of color. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. So you're referring to uh, some actual COVID-related research that Genentech Absolutely. recently sponsored, which was uh, involved in recruiting for COVID pneumonia. Is that right?
1: That's right. It's called Impacta, And, and it, uh, we, can, we have that information, I believe, on our website.
0: Okay. And this is the one where you actually were, you know, you went by going out to these communities um, and uh, coming to the people, uh, moving the mountain to Muhammad, if you will. Um, you were able to yes. the participation amongst the minority communities, which is exactly what we want to do. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So that that's definitely a, a key tenant of any kind of a strategy here. Um, and... Um, Obviously, it's, it's even more important, you know, you know, for the African-American community to participate um, and the Latinx community as well um, in the COVID-related trials. And, and right now, from what we read, you know, the, the enrollment is low from those communities. But um, unfortunately, you know, they're more likely to get infected. And if they do, they're more likely to have a serious outcome because they have higher incidence of comorbidities which, uh, you know, because for decades, you know, the social determinants of health have yes. been so much more prevalent there. So it's really important that we, you know, we, we get, get the vote out, so to speak, get these people into, get these communities in, in, in the trials. Um,
1: yes. So I mean, I think it's also not just, you know, comorbidity, but it's the, the redlining. Where do they live? Do they have readily access to, um, you know, physicians and the healthcare system, right? Do they have Um, Are they in a food desert? Are they, you know, essential workers and they're having to, you know, take public transportation and they're having to go out every day? I think, you know, what we're seeing with COVID is kind of some of the racial injustices that have existed for many years really kind of blowing up in front of us with um, kind of these COVID related illnesses.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, how, how many times you read in the, in the medical literature, you know, about these comorbidities. Well, there's a reason behind that. And it's because of, yeah. like you say, racial injustices that have been prevalent for far too long. And, and the COVID pandemic has just simply laid bare, you know, uh, these disparities that, that have led yeah. to, that have put these communities in a position to meet, be much more, you know, vulnerable, I think, to. So
1: to that's about, right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah so, um, okay. So, um, you know, we, we obviously a strategy to convince uh, communities of color to participate has to meet a higher bar. And any other uh, tips you would give for how the healthcare industry can address the fear in minority communities and, and increase clinical trial enrollment?
1: You know, I think the other thing that we've been working on for a number of years is um, we have an external council um, on inclusive research that has been partnered with us. Uh, for the last few years to help us really understand where may we, where are the gaps that we've got? Where is potentially some bias built into the system? And so we've been working with them and we've made some changes. We've looked at various p- points in our inclusion exclusion criteria. So even if someone wanted to participate, if we had metrics or parameters in there that weren't aligned, Uh, For, say, for instance, creatinine clearance, a black person's creatinine clearance might be slightly different than uh, what would be for a white male. And so we've been making some adjustments looking at specific parameters so that if someone is able to participate and wants to participate, we don't have anything in in the way of that participation. Uh, We've been working very closely with patient advocate organizations to help us think about recruitment. We we also have been engaging with various community stakeholders so that we can kind of begin to think about how should we be communicating? um, What are the right um, types of information that we need to do? We've been working with one person who has a show on Telemundo talking about healthcare. And it's a Spanish language show, so that we're able to really become more part of the community than versus, you know, someone external trying to ask someone to do something, but really explaining the value of participation.
0: Right. So things like informed consent, you know, could be more kind of yes. slant, skewed, you know, to, toward you know non-minority you know populations. Uh, uh, or you know, like white guys like me. Um, and uh, it's not not doing any service, you know, to to getting people of color to 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 feel comfortable enough to to volunteer. Um, and and data transparency has has to be paramount as well, you know, to, to kind of Absolutely. give people that feedback loop, hey, here's what we're finding, so on and so forth. Um, okay, uh, so we, we covered a lot of ground here. Uh, I just wanted to kind of shift gears for a moment and talk about it. I know you were on um the uh, you were a panelist on the excellent uh, women, women of color and pharma think tank that occurred over the summer um and you're also you know as as being involved in that excellent organization's efforts um you know about the upcoming annual conference can you kind of talk yes. us through some of the takeaways from from the summer think tank and kind of what you're gearing up you give us a preview for the for the annual conference coming up this fall
1: Absolutely. Well, I I think the WOSA think tank was a great first step to discuss how to create and accelerate sustainable change in the life sciences industry. Um, One of the things that I really appreciated about that think tank was that they asked companies to commit to take meaningful action now, like right then um, in full pursuit of racial and gender equality especially thinking about board members and C-suite executives. So I was very excited to participate. And I, I also appreciated, you know, them thinking about how do we advance equity in the discovery, drug development, and commercialization process uh, for our products that our companies come out with. And I think for the upcoming conference, um, you know, I, I appreciate WOSIP's bold stance right, Um, and and really thinking about our opportunities to be both right, and I, for me, I'm looking forward to uh, engaging with other like-minded individuals, and I think this is our opportunity for our industry to really stand up and think about how can we do more to ensure communities of color are participating um, so that they know that the products are safe and effective for them.
0: Absolutely, that's and you know, Wosip, you know, is is being very bold in, in its approach, and uh, you know, I, I applaud them. And uh, I know at, at MMM, this is very important um, for us as well. You know, we we share uh, that that um, priority, that imperative uh, to. Yes help, you know, do what we can uh, to improve um, the representation um, of women uh, and women of color in the industry. Um, so, you know, that's why uh, we've, we've been working together, you know, with, with the folks at WOSIP, uh, not only for, you know, an editorial coverage, um, but also on this podcast. And we're going to try to make this a regular uh, installment uh, at least once a month, kind of a, an update on the diversity and inclusion front. Um, and, and we'll have, you know, guests, excellent guests like yourself kind of checking in with us, uh, and, and talking about what we, what we hope and what we're confident will be will be ongoing progress there. Um, so great. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and let's just finish up, you know, in, in your current role with Genentech, uh, you've obviously been pushing for more diversity and inclusion. Uh, can you talk about where the company is vis-a-vis, um, representation uh, of women, um, and as, as well as, um, Uh, you know, sexual diversity um, uh, and uh, minority diversity in its own ranks and and the composition of of the company's clinical trials?
1: Yes. You know, I I first will say diversity and inclusion is multifaceted. It is complex. There are a host of systemic issues and there is no magic solved. Right. I wish it was. But this is grinding hard work, commitment, and we have to have a steel resolve. Right. And, And I do think we have to be more transparent, more intentional, and more bold in our efforts to make change. It's just like we have done a very, very good job with um, women representation. When we look at our senior ranks, um, women directors and officers, 51% of our ranks are women in the most senior leadership roles. But when we think about people of color, we have uh, challenges just as everyone else. And so we're thinking very intentionally about how, what we need to do in order to ensure that um, we're, we're bringing more seats to the table. Uh, we have been very deliberate in our clinical research. We have another study um, in multiple sclerosis where we're going to be specifically, and we've already enrolled the first patient in this summer, that we're going to specifically look at um black and hispanic people with multiple sclerosis and that the entire study is going to be built around that those communities so that we can understand why does disease look different in certain people and we put advancing inclusive research kind of front and center when, when we were able to get um in this COVID case 84 percent of the communities because we have been working over the last few years um, building our skill set in order to engage communities of color. And so we're seeing the fruits of that labor right now. And, and the last thing I will say about this is that this has to be more than a moment. It has to be a movement. Our, the goal here is for us to be proactive, to build trust, to magnify our efforts because we all have to be change makers when 2020 leaves and a pandemic goes away and we're no longer sitting in the house watching TV and seeing what's going on and we get back to our real lives. We want to keep diversity and inclusion front and center because it is time for us to embrace the increasingly diverse world around us.
0: Absolutely. And I think the word intentionality is, is an excellent one. Uh, it's not going to happen without deliberate intentional That's efforts. Right. And uh, uh, listen, I'm glad to, to to hear you say that you know the um, building your skill set to engage these communities is is paying off. Great, great to hear about the progress. I'm um, so glad to hear that uh, Genentech has you leading its DNI efforts. Um, keep up the great work, um, and yes. uh, we, we, I look forward to you know doing this again uh, very soon.
1: All right. Well, thanks, Mark, for having me.
0: Absolutely, um, thank you, Quita uh, Highsmith, for for joining us. Um, I want to thank everybody out there for listening. Um, if you enjoyed uh, this podcast, please like us, please subscribe, help others discover the show. Um, well, that'll do it uh, for another episode. Um, thank you again, Quita, and uh, we'll see everybody next time on the MMN podcast. Take care, everybody. Yeah.